All right, let's open our Bibles tonight then to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. Made it through the genealogy last week in Matthew chapter 1. Through the introduction and through the genealogy. The genealogy that we studied last week in Matthew's Gospel um, we saw four women, five if you include Mary, but four four women that um, were not usually mentioned in the genealogies, especially uh, in the heritage or in the line of the nation of Israel. They weren't deemed important. Because, I mean, well, even in our age, the um, when a man and a woman marry, it's the man's name that they take, and it's the man's name that's carried on. And so it's kind of an unusual thing uh, to find four women's name names in the, in the genealogy. They're in um, verse 3, we see Tamar. Um, in verse 5, we see Rahab. Also in verse 5, we see Ruth. And in verse 6, we don't see her by name, but the wife of Uriah the Hittite was Bathsheba. Now, interesting to me that, first of all, Tamar had children by her father-in-law. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho. Uh, Ruth was a Moabite, which um, that Moabite nationality was, was hated by the Jews. And Bathsheba was a wife that David stole from another man. Now, what does that tell you about the bloodline, the genealogy that Jesus came through? Well, God breaks down the the racial barriers in Jesus by including nations outside the covenant. That's pretty interesting, the covenant of his heritage. He broke down the sex barriers. And he made all the people equal before him. It also helps me to understand a little bit about Jesus identifying with sinful man. Jesus being a friend of sinners. That was a real problem. Especially to the religious elite. That was a real problem. What is this guy doing eating with sinners and tax collectors. We looked at that last week in Matthew 9, the call of Matthew, the call. Well, this week, we're going to look at the birth of Jesus. And I remember trying to explain to my children when they were very little the difference between a birthday and an incarnation. (laughs) See, Jesus didn't have a birthday. (laughs) He, He always was. That's why when that comment came up that he made before Abraham was, I am, it was a claim to eternity. It was a claim to eternal being. When Jesus says in the book of Revelation, when he says, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega, I am the beginning and the end, um, he had no beginning. He always was. Now that will fry your natural mind. Uh, we stayed up one night to the wee hours of the morning talking about eternity one night. I remember it was at a youth camp. 
and uh, some of the some of the leadership. Uh, we were in the lodge and we were just talking and talking and talking. We were talking about eternity and how, man, what a long time eternity is. But then I said to this one brother, his name's Greg. I said, Greg, I said, you know, it's cool to think about eternity as going on and on and on and on. It's like I remember somebody described eternity to me one time as if as if the earth were a, a, a big brass ball and and uh, there was a sparrow and he was he was flying this uh, this orbit and he would go around the moon. The sp- you know how long it would take a sparrow to fly to the moon. Well, he would go around the moon and he would come around the earth. And each time he came around the earth, that sparrow's wing would just clip the earth. And then he'd go back and he'd fly around the moon and around the earth and around the moon and around the earth. By the time the earth, which was made of brass, wore down to nothing, that would just be the beginning of an eternity. I mean, it's just, you know, examples like, like that, just things that fry your mind. And we t- talked about eternity in that direction. But then I said, Greg, you really want to fry your mind? Think about it in the other direction. Because the Bible teaches us that God always was. Now, we don't understand that. We have no co- everything that we know had a beginning, except God. You know, before God, all there was was God. And and so there's no way, and you know, so the next morning, <laughs> Greg looks at me with his bloodshot eyes <laughs> and says, thanks a lot, you know. Couldn't sleep all night thinking about that one. Um, but here we see, and, and something that's always fascinated me, ever since I began searching out the answers to life, ever since I, I began to even think about the things of Scripture or uh, eternal things or anything, Prophecy has always, always fascinated me. So what I want to start with tonight, even before we go into the birth, is I want to look at some of the prophecies about the birth of Christ, okay? Now, I'm going to read these, and we won't have time to to turn to each one of them. So if you have your notebooks handy, uh, if you have a, a piece of scratch paper, jot these down or you can get these later off the tape. But um, as we saw in the beginning of this chapter, there, uh, there were prophecies concerning the Messiah. One of them was that he would be of the seed of Abraham. It's found in Genesis 12.3. The Messiah is going to be from the seed of Abraham. Then we saw a prophecy that the Messiah would be the son of David. We see that in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And if you read verses 12 through 16, it talks about the Messiah being the son of David. Now we come to um, this miracle prophecy of the virgin birth. Listen to this, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. I'm going to read this one to you. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay, we talked about that a little bit last week. Emmanuel means God with us. Then in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. This one you'll be familiar with. It's on most of your Christmas cards that you give and and receive. It says, For unto us a child, child is born, Unto us a son is given, 
and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Wow. I mean, this child is going to be known by those names. That's pretty incredible. How about Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1? Isaiah 11, 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. Now, it's interesting that uh, how God was able to narrow down in that bloodline because, of course, first of all, you have Abraham. The problem with that was Abraham had two sons. Abraham had Ishmael and he had Isaac. God narrowed it down. When he said, take thy son, thy only son, he was referring to Isaac, not Ishmael. So he eliminated half the problem there. But then you come to Isaac, and Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Except for the scriptures say, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. So it's narrowed down there again, once again. There's, only, there's a problem there. Because Jacob had 12 sons. Uh-oh. Okay, except the Bible tells us that the Messiah is going to come from the tribe of Judah. So Judah is the one of the 12, and so on and so forth. We come down now to Jesse, and of course Jesse's son was David, and the Messiah we know is going to be the son of David. Luke chapter 1 and verse 31. It says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Now this was uh, a prophecy, a short-term prophecy that the angel gave to the Virgin Mary. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow. Now I'm going to get into a a few New Testament passages. You can jot these down as well. Because to meditate on these passages, to look at these verses of Scripture, is to pull together the picture of Jesus being identified with the Old Testament prophecies concerning Messiah. Listen to this. Romans 1 and verse 3. Concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Wow. That fits. About Romans 8.3. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That could be a tongue twister. But worth meditating on. Jesus, the Bible says, became sin for us. The one who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. That's from um, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Here's one, Philippians 2.7 but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. You're going to see that continually through Matthew's Gospel because 
Matthew wants to point out Jesus as the servant king. He comes to serve. You don't hear that those two words in the same sentence very often, servant king. At least not back to back. Servant king. But consider that. Jesus made himself of no reputation. We were talking about that a little bit tonight. What, what gets us in trouble is when we hold our reputation so high that it becomes pride. Pride becomes sin. The Bible says Jesus, he, he cared not about his reputation. He became a servant, made in the likeness of men. Here's one, 1 Timothy 3.16. I love the 3.16s of the Bible. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Did you catch that? God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. That's a definition of God. (laughs) Here on earth, he was manifest in the flesh. Hebrews 2.14 For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now that's amazing to me, that the Lord, through death, destroyed him that had the power of death. There are those that are going around today saying that Jesus was defeated by Satan on the cross. Not so. Not so. It was his greatest victory. Defeating Satan. 1 John 4 and verse 2. 1 John 4 verse 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. 2 John verse 7. 2 John, verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Now, so I was talking before about Jesus not having a birthday. There are several scriptures that refer to his pre-existence. In other words, just because Jesus was born of a virgin doesn't mean he didn't exist before that. And, and here are some scriptures that, that might uh, help clear that up. Micah 5 and verse 2. Micah 5, 2. These are really worth digging into. Dig into these on your own. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee... He shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. That's what I was talking about, blowing Greg's mind, blowing my mind, was to think about how how God is from everlasting. And the scriptures describe him as from everlasting to everlasting. So it's like infinity in one direction and infinity in the other direction. The reality of it is God is outside of time. He's not just on this timeline. He's not just a God who has a lot of time on his hands. He always was and he always will be. Despite those that 
don't believe in him. It's kind of a shame. Uh, Jerry just gave me a book uh, entitled um, God Believes in Atheists. I thought that was interesting. It's a shame that people don't believe in God because God believes in them. Did you ever notice how you can't get rid of something by not believing in it? Try that sometime. How many of you believe in ladybugs? Huh? Do you think that we could get rid of them by not believing in them? You know, I wish you could too, but it's, it's not going to happen. John 1 1, in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Again, He was incarnate, He took on flesh. John 8:58 Jesus said to them verily verily I say unto you before Abraham was I am Boy they knew what he was saying too because it says they picked up stones to stone him John 17:5 And now this is this is really cool because in John chapter 17 we have Jesus recorded prayer He's not he's not teaching somebody how to pray he's praying So we have insight to the very words the very prayers of Jesus. We can look at his prayer. And this is one of the things he said was, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. That's pretty incredible. Glorify me with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Pretty neat. Here's another one from John 17, this time verse 24. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may, be, may behold my glory, which thou hast given me before the foundations of the world. Let's say that again. Which thou hast given me before the foundations of the world. Is that incredible? So the first time we see Jesus as this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, understand his preexistence. Colossians 1.17. Colossians 1.17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Man, that's heavy. Hebrews 7.3. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth the priest continually. And then, of course, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 13. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Wow. So here we are in Matthew chapter 1. And in verse 18, Matthew says, of course, by the Holy Spirit, he's penning this by the Holy Spirit, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Your Bible may say betrothed, betrothed. He was, she was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, that is, uh, before the marriage was consummated, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 19 tells us that because Joseph, her husband, now notice, the Bible calls Joseph her husband and they are betrothed. There's something about uh, betrothal that it's not taken lightly like our engagements are. You know, in, in, in our culture, if you're engaged to somebody, you know, you give them an engagement ring and, you know, you're kind of going steady and, and, and that means, you know, I'm yours and you're mine and, and you have this engagement ring and so on. Betrothal was a lot different. Sometimes these marriages were prearranged as young as three years old. Prearranged. But regardless of whether or not it was prearranged, a betrothal was as binding as a marriage. As binding as a marriage. I want you to turn with me for a second to the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 22, Deuteronomy chapter 22, And verse 23, I'm going to read a a few verses here, a couple verses at least. Deuteronomy chapter 22, beginning with verse 23. If a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be married, and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The girl, because she was in a town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife. Wife? Yeah. They were what we would consider engaged, but betrothal was as binding as a marriage. Now, before you leave Deuteronomy, um, I want you to jump over to chapter 24, right across the page there, and verse 1. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. Okay, we don't even need to continue here. I want to show you that a certificate of divorce was necessary in a betrothal. Okay? Turn back to Matthew. I'll show you, I'll show you what I mean. I just wanted to catch that part of that scripture before we went back here because it says because joseph her husband was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace he had in mind to divorce her quietly you understand it's like betrothal was like a marriage they're not married yet they haven't consummated this marriage but mary is with child now the text tells us that the child was from the Holy Spirit, okay? Unfortunately, Joseph doesn't have a copy of Matthew's Gospel. You understand? It's not written yet. And so here's Joseph, and the one to whom he's betrothed is, as far as he's concerned, has violated his trust. And so I don't. we don't know what kind of time lapsed between... Um, between uh, Joseph understanding that this child was of the Holy Spirit. We don't know what, but but imagine that. Imagine the, the frustration. Imagine the hurt. Imagine the pain. And yet, now I can understand why God chose Joseph because of such a gentle man that he is. 
He could have cried out. He could have cried out aloud. I've been cheated. I've been, you know, if that had happened, Mary would have been stoned. But he didn't do that because of the man that he was. He didn't do that. Now, I want to, before we go on here, because um, because Matthew's gospel doesn't include this, I want to jump over to Luke's gospel, chapter 1. If you do that with me now, just turn over to Luke's gospel, chapter 1. I'll try to cover this quickly. I'm going to try not to make a lot of comments on on the text here because I want to read through this. Uh, chapter 1 and verse 1 of Luke's Gospel. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and, and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. How would you like to... Have that said of you. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And When the time for burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside and then an angel of the Lord, and I want you to notice it doesn't say the angel of the Lord, it says an angel of the Lord. I believe the distinction is clear because many times in the scriptures when an, when the angel of the Lord appears, it's what, um, what the scholars call a theophany or an appearance of Jesus. We see that in the Old Testament, many appearances of Jesus even before he was um, incarnate. But it says an angel of the Lord appeared to him Obviously, this is a messenger, an angel, um, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. Now, remember, these guys are old. They're old timers. I can picture Zechariah going, I prayed that prayer 40 years ago. What do you mean? My prayer is answered. Wow. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. He will be a, a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Wow. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the, to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, 
Verse 18 says, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Now, notice Gabriel is the angel of, he's the good news bearer. He's the one that goes to Mary. He's the one that goes to Zechariah. He's the, Michael, the archangel, is, is the warrior. He's the one that, that goes to war on behalf of Israel. But it says here that, um, and now, verse 20, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered why he stayed so long in the temple. Remember, all he was supposed to do is light the incense. When he came out, he could not speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Understand that to be barren was was uh, thought to be a judgment from God. Um, it, was a, it was a disgrace for a woman not to be able to give birth. Now, verse 26. In the sixth month, I believe that was the sixth month of her pregnancy. You'll see that when we get to verse 36. In the sixth month, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David. Notice uh, Luke puts that in there too. Make sure you understand that he was a descendant of David. That's important. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, at this point, Mary understands. Gabriel's talking about the Messiah. They knew that about the Messiah. How will this be? Asked the angel. Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Now that should clear up any um, discrepancies. I know that some people have taken that verse from um, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, and they've taken the, the, the definition of that Hebrew word, Alma, which, which means virgin, and said it means young woman. Well, for starters, it wouldn't be much of a sign. I mean, the Lord says, I'll give you a sign. If the rest of that verse said a young woman will have a child, well, a lot of women, young women have children. It wouldn't be much of a sign. But for a virgin to give birth to a child, that would be a sign. This should clear it up, verse 34 in, in, Luke's, or, yeah, in Luke's gospel. Because Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age, in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be may it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Now, before we go back to uh, Matthew's Gospel in chapter 1, I want you to look at Luke's Gospel chapter 2. Jump over to chapter 2 there and verse 1. I want to read this um, because we have a little bit more information in Luke's Gospel about the birth of Jesus. Listen to this. This is just some groundwork now for uh, getting back to Matthew's Gospel. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. Now I look at that. It gives you a time frame in secular history that you can look at when these people were governing in these locations, for one thing. But the other thing was, isn't it interesting, that the greed of Caesar Augustus brought about the will of God. He's like, I need to crank up the taxes. We need to, you know, everybody go back, take a census. and It's just amazing how, and this Quirinius, who was a governor of Syria, I mean, this guy is just a just a speck on the pages of biblical prophecy. But it's interesting how God includes all this. And it says, And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. There it is again, important. This genealogy is very important. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Understand, this is this is a pretty incredible night. I mean, the, the population had swelled because of the census that was being taken. People are scrambling about. There's no place in the inn. They had to use a, a a barn, stable. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord, again, an angel of the Lord, appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. In other words, he's Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, The shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, concerning the Christmas celebration, just a couple of just a couple of things concerning the Christmas celebration. What we're seeing here in the scriptures is a far cry from our Christmas celebrations of today. Okay? And I think we as Christians maybe should take an inventory and and uh I'm I'm just talking about what took place in Bethlehem that night is a far cry uh, from decorating evergreen trees and taking them in the house and lighting them with lights and you know the giving and the receiving of gifts and all those all those traditions can be traced back to Babylon, um, including the December 25th date. Uh, some talk about the you know the the burning of the Yule log and uh, Tammuz. Uh, uh, being a Babylonian practice, there's um, Saturnalia of Rome was, um, you know, there was a lot of merriment, there was a lot of gift giving, and a lot of these practices can be traced back to the absorbing or the transforming of pagan celebrations into Christian tradition. So when we read this, I want you to keep these things in mind. Um Am I turning into the Grinch that stole Christmas? No, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I, I, I just think that um, we as Christians should be able to distinguish between truth and tradition. And I think that it's important that we explain those things to our children because they're going to be the next generation that's going to come up that's going to have to explain. I don't think there's anything wrong with traditions as long as you understand I mean, I, I'm not saying that somebody that puts a Christmas tree up in their house is, is, is uh, celebrating Tammuz or, or anything like that. Um, I'm just saying be careful. Know the difference. For example, um, this night that we just read about in Luke's Gospel was anything but a silent night. Okay? So, you know, we sing silent night, you know, holy night, all is calm. It was just the opposite of that. It was so hustle and so bustle that you couldn't get another person in in a, in, in, in the inn. They had to use a stable. So I'm just, all I'm saying is be careful of the tradition. The population of the city of David swelled to the, to the point that there wasn't even room for Joseph or Mary. Um, and the barn, that stable, that manger, it wasn't the sanitized version that you guys see in the manger scenes that we have, okay? And the little things we set up on the coffee table. And the, it, it wasn't like, how many of you have ever been in a barn? Okay. You probably can, you, you know what they smell like. You know what, what goes on. Okay, let's get back to the unsanitized version and see the nativity scene. I mean, that's what, that's what went down. We're talking about the creator of the universe humbling himself and and being born in a stable, in a barn. Uh, I don't know that this, I, I mean, how many of you Wisconsinites, <laughs> um, you know, you know, you know what a barn smells like. How'd you like to give birth to your first child there? Huh? That sound like an adventure? No, you just wouldn't do that. But I want you to understand that Jesus wasn't so into reputation. I mean, if I was going to set this thing up, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't use shepherds. 
because those guys you couldn't trust. I mean, when they walked by, you grabbed your wallet, you know, to make sure that it wasn't going. I mean, and, and here they were the first ones to testify of the Christ child. So here we are in this interesting time in man's history. And by the way, we just came through 400 silent years. I mean, after Malachi, they hadn't heard from God for like 400 years. There was no prophet. Um, it was like um, what we just read about Zechariah standing at the altar in Jerusalem. That was the first that they heard from the Lord in 400 years. <laughs> wow. The angel gave the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. Um, but those 400 years were very busy years. You know, the Old Testament closes with the, the Medo-Persian Empire. Um, Egypt was still a major power at the close of the Old Testament. They were still a power to be reckoned with. During these 400 years, both the Medo-Persian Empire and the Egyptian Empire faded from the scene. The world power shifted from the east to the west, from Asia to Europe, from Medo-Persia to Greece. And now, as the New Testament opens here, as we begin this study in the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, there's a new power, and it's Rome. Rome is the new world ruler. Um... After the Babylonian captivity, Israel turned from idolatry. You remember when, when she was in captivity, she learned her lesson. She turns from idolatry to a kind of a fanatic starving for a, a, a legal holiness. And that's where we come up with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the Herodians. We've studied this so many times before where... These four groups came out of that, that period of time where, where law literally becomes an idol. The law became their idol. They wanted legal holiness. That's what we're looking at. That's what we're looking at, these four groups. Now, why four Gospels, though? Why, why four Gospels? We're, here, we, we're hearing these same things, or... Many of the same things, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called synoptic Gospels because there's so many of the same things. Um, I like the way Missler puts it. He says, we have the Gospel, or the good news, in quadraphonic. I like that. You can't miss it. Matthew writes to the nation of Israel, and that's pretty obvious because he spends time in the genealogy and he traces things back to Adam and David. By the way, Adam, tracing it, I'm, I'm sorry, he traces it back to Abraham, and David, and Abraham was to give Jesus the national right to rule. David was to give him the right to the throne. So there's a reason why Matthew traces him back to, to Abraham and David. He writes to Israel. Um, as a matter of fact, it was first written, Matthew's gospel was first written in Hebrew. Um, and it was directed toward the God-fearing man. Mark's gospel was written to the Roman. It's a gospel of action. We always, uh, in fact, Sunday mornings, we're just finishing Mark's gospel up. And uh, I call it the Reader's Digest condensed version. It's the, it's the one that's just action. Right from one story to the next to the next. He just, he just 
hits the, the highlights, the details. Uh, leaves the details out and just hits the highlights. Luke was written to the Greek, was written to the thinking man, and John is written to the believers, to the church that was made up of Jews and Greeks. So there's a reason why there's four um, there's four gospels, four stories. Now, back in Matthew and chapter 1, um, we just left off in uh, verse 19. So verse 20 says, But after he had considered this, remember, Joseph is now considering divorcing Mary, their betrothed, he's considering divorcing her. He, he was considering putting her away quietly. Why quietly? Because they would have stoned her if it would have been publicly. So he's considering putting her away quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know how long Joseph had to carry that around and think about that, but five minutes is too long to have to think about something like that. Look at how Joseph responds. Um, The angel says in verse 21, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Wow. This is incredible. The Lord saves Jesus. Yahshua. Yahweh is salvation is what Jesus' name means. Now notice that um, the Holy Spirit then is the Father. Not Joseph, okay? And I've always kind of wrestled with that verse that we talked about in Isaiah 9, 6 that says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. A son is given. Hmm. She will give birth to a son. Not Notice that the angel didn't say, She will bear thee a son, like he did to Zechariah. He says, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. The angel doesn't say that here, does he? He says, she will give birth to a son. So it kind of it, it kind of explains a little bit of a, a child is born, a son is given. We're looking at Joseph now as a stepdad, not the father of Jesus. That explains a lot. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now notice his name is Jesus. Yahweh is salvation, or Yahweh saves. But he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. How many times do we see that in the New Testament where he is referred to? And and yet, how many claims, how many times have I heard Bible scholars or so-called Bible scholars say that Jesus never claimed deity. His name will be called God with us, Emmanuel. Wow. That's incredible to me. Verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. In other words, there were no sexual relations between Joseph and Mary until she gave birth to a son. It doesn't mean that Mary didn't have children, other children. But Jesus was the firstborn. She was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus. 
until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. The obedience of Joseph. Now, chapter 2 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now, here's another thing about our tradition. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that these guys were kings. Nowhere in the Bible does it say there were three of them. Okay? And yet we come up with, We three kings of Orient are, you know, and it's you know so just so that you as Bible students can distinguish between tradition and and scripture, okay? It's thought that these guys were not. Well, first of all, um, they're not uh, they're not kings. Magi uh, really comes from a, the the word magic. I mean, magi you can get an idea. These were the 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 wise men or soothsayers, you could say. Uh, some of the guys that Daniel ran into in Babylon, um, some of the same type of people, the wise guys, I call them. Um, and and uh, there weren't necessarily three of them. Um, sometimes we think that there were three because of the gifts that they bore. They, they brought gifts, and the gifts were gold and frankincense and myrrh. There were three different gifts and so they think well there's three three wise guys but that's not necessarily so um in fact they, they, they think that there there may have been um uh, quite a few but you can't put a number to them because the scripture doesn't put a number to them but it says magi from the east came to jerusalem these guys were astrologers they were studying astrology how do i know that well they were looking for a star they were looking for a particular star. And, and it says, um, they came from the east to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, this is a, a, a supernatural phenomenon that takes place here that they knew about, Okay. And as I look at this and I and, and I study this, have you ever tried to follow a star? Okay, you drive down the highway sometime and try to follow a star. How can you follow a star? I mean, the, you know, the closest one is is you know how many light years away? And and what you know, this had to be this. You can't just skip over this. This was miraculous. What happened here? Ever tried following a star? It says, his star appeared in the east, and we've come to worship him. Now, that's the wrong thing to say to Herod. You need to understand who this guy is. For starters, he wasn't a Jew. Okay, so he wasn't about to worship the king of the Jews. This is the wrong thing to say to Herod. He was an Edomite, um, recognized by Rome as a vassal king over Judea. The Jews hated him. I mean, they found they, they kind of found room in their hearts for him because of, they admired his building projects. Okay, I mean, he restored the temple, and they were into that. But they, the Jews, hated him. He, pardon me, uh, uh, Edomite, yeah, Idumean. Um, 
It says, uh, it says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Why do you suppose he was disturbed? Because there was another king. Who's this king? What do you mean a king? I'm the king. There can't be two kings. And it says, and all Jerusalem with him. You want to know why all Jerusalem was disturbed? Listen, whenever Herod gets disturbed, you better be disturbed. This guy was a paranoid schizophrenic. You think Bob Wiley was weird. This guy, he was motivated by paranoia and cruelty. He murdered the Sanhedrin. He murdered his wife. He murdered his mother-in-law. He murdered his three sons, among many others. Anybody that threatened his throne, he took them out. He just took them out. There wasn't any. And now these wise guys come and they say, where is this king of the Jews? Listen to that again. When King Herod, when king Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. <laughs> you better believe it. It's time to get worked up because Herod's worked up. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that's an indication that Herod controlled these guys. So you understand that when we're just finishing up Mark's gospel and you can understand what's going on and why people, the, the chief priests and the rulers of the law were so paranoid that somebody else might come along and call themselves king. Okay? Um... It says, he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he asked them where the Christ was to be born. Now, this, is, this fascinates me because they answer, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this was what the prophet has written. Now, we read that from Micah 5.2. Um, it says, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Now, do you find it fascinating that the teachers of the law knew this stuff and they didn't care to search it out? See, to me, that that's absolutely crazy. They have the information right at their fingertips and they don't care. And it says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star appeared. Now understand, these guys are coming from the Orient. They're coming from the East. And, and in those days, uh, you, you traveled at the, the speed of camel. <laughs> you know, now we can travel at the speed of sound. I mean, these guys traveled at the speed of camels and donkeys. And, and so, you know, when did you first hear about the star? When did you first see this star? And so he's, Herod's doing these calculations in his head. And he's saying, okay, well, you know, let's figure this out here. He asks them, secretly finds the exact time the star appeared and then he sent them to bethlehem and said go and make careful search for the child and as soon as you find him report to me so that i too may go and worship him yeah right with an axe you know think about this and after they had heard the king they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was now that's miraculous. That's not just some star. It's not just a comet. It's not. It was phenomenal. It was supernatural. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Verse 11 says, On coming to the house, now notice they come to the house. I don't think that this was 
the stable where Jesus was born. There's some time that had lapsed here. When they come to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Now, these gifts, of course, were rep- the gold represented royalty, the frankincense represented priesthood, and the myrrh represented death. Uh, that's what they, the myrrh was what they used. It was uh, what they anointed the, the bodies with for burial. Um, when it was crushed, it gave off a, a, a real strong aroma. Um, and verse 12 says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So interesting how the Lord is using dreams here. These uh, thought that these guys were Zoroastrian priests. Uh, actually an occult group from from Persia. Um, Not three magi, three gifts, okay? And it says in verse 13, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So God is warning First of all, the Magi, don't go back that way. Herod's looking for the child. Then to Joseph, you need to hit the road, get to Egypt for sanctuary. So he got up. I love that. Verse 14, obedience. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and fled and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said. And there we're seeing this over and over in Matthew's Gospel. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. It's taken from Hosea 11.1. 1. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. So now that gives you an indication. When he asked them, when did you first see the star, he's going probably adding a little bit just to make sure he doesn't miss them. He's going to make sure this king is not born to the Jews. Kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with uh, the time he had learned from the Magi. And then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, having been warned in a dream. He withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. Now, isn't it interesting that you know the Bible says in Romans eight twenty eight that all things work together for good for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And I look at these things and go, wow, fulfilling prophecy after prophecy after prophecy because of certain things that are happening, sending him in one direction or the other. We see the same thing when you get in the book of Acts and how the Holy Spirit led the apostles in the first century church. 
And it says, and, and, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. And though we're going to leave it here, I want you to notice the different responses to Jesus. Because as we end this study tonight, I want you to think about this on your way home. If you present the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody, you present Jesus to somebody, you're going to get one of three responses. There was the response that Herod gave, which was what? Hatred. He hated him. He wanted to kill him. You may get the response that they got out of the chief priests. What was their response? Indifference. Who cares? So what? You may get the response that the wise men gave. And that's why we say, in fact, one of our His Oasis t-shirts said, wise men still seek him. It's true. One of three responses, hatred, indifference, or praise and worship. And that's where it comes to examining our hearts, too. I know that, well, I know you, as I look around this room, I know you, so I know that you're here because you love the Lord and because you want to walk with him, because you want to serve him, and because you love him. But I want you to understand that when you step out that door, the world will have one of three responses to you presenting them with Jesus Christ. Hatred, indifference, or acceptance and worship. And, you know, when you run across somebody who says, well, you know, I don't believe that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. I don't believe that he is Messiah, but I believe that he was a good teacher. That's not open. That's not one of the options. Because if you looked at what Jesus said, either he was God manifest in the flesh, either he was the salvation of the world, or he was a lunatic. Or he was demon-possessed. But he couldn't be a good teacher just because of the claims he made. He'd either be a lunatic or a liar or a Lord. And so that's what we're left with. And as we sang in the songs that we, we sang for praise and worship tonight, you know, our desire is to spread the gospel. Our desire is to spread the word. He is Lord. He is the Savior of the world. And wise men do still seek him. So let's close with a prayer tonight. Father, amazing, amazing is the word that we attach to your grace. Lord, that you would be gracious enough to reach down to us, to this handful of believers in this room here today, and to show us your plan, your plan of salvation. To show us your desire for the world, that none perish, but that all come to repentance and to the knowledge of the truth. Lord, it's an amazing thing, as the psalmist said, what is man? What is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you visit him. Lord, as we look around, uh, just like these men that were looking at the creation and realized that there was more to it, realized that with the, the details in your creation, there must have been a designer, there must have been a creator. We come to that same conclusion, Lord. The heavens declare your glory, the work of your hands. 
And so, Father, we bow before you tonight. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to, to just pour into us, Lord, your truth by your Holy Spirit, that we might overflow with that living water that you told us about. Lord, we're thirsty. We're thirsty for more of you. And as you fill us, I just pray that we would overflow to our friends, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to this community and beyond. God, just keep your hand upon us, Lord, and use us in these last days. We long for your return, but we know that with every sunrise, you've got a plan for our lives. So we'll continue to put one foot in front of the other and trust that when we get there, we'll be right where you have us. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.